0: I was born into a cult. Granted, I had no idea it was a cult at the time, and looking back, I can definitely see a lot of things that were problematic. But, in all honesty, my own life wasn't all that bad when I was there. I never thought of it as anything out of the ordinary as it was all I'd ever known. Granted, if I told you half the things that went on there, you would probably be shocked, but I'm not here to talk about my life As it is, those details are meaningless, and I don't feel like wasting your time with writing paragraphs about inconsequential details. Strange as it may sound, even though I managed to run away, I still miss my parents, despite everything that happened there. I do believe that they loved me. Or at least, they loved me in their own way. And in the end, after all, they were as much victims of the cult as I was. Up until I was 12, I really didn't have that many responsibilities. Us children were basically allowed to play completely carefree at that point. The only education I'd received was how to read and write, along with very basic mathematics. That was it. No geography, history, or science. Of course, most of our learning revolved around learning religious doctrine. We called our God the One Above All. I was told he didn't have another name, though I wasn't ready to hear it yet. I had very little to complain about at the time, because again, I had known nothing different than the cult's way of living my whole life. There was one thing that bothered me. That was whenever my father went away, because I liked having both my parents at home. I was an only child, and tended to get lonely when it was just my mother and me. Every few months, my father would go away with some other men for a hunting trip. Though I now notice he never did show me what he had hunted, it never occurred to me to ask when I was little. When I was twelve, I was finally considered to be someone who was old enough to understand our teachings. And so, one night, far past my mandated bedtime, my father woke me up. I groggily opened my eyes. He had a serious expression about him, one that I'd never seen before. But he told me it was time and that he needed to show me something. We got out of the house. My mother was awake, but she didn't protest us leaving. This was clearly something that had been expected. We usually weren't allowed out of our homes this late, and I brought that up, but my father reassured me that it was all right. Where are we going? I asked. To meet the one above all, he answered. He began telling me a story, a story that I'd heard multiple times before in the church, about how the One Above All had come to Earth, how the One Above All had been injured by It. We always called it It, or the Enemy. I don't even remember how we got where we did. It was so long ago, but I do remember going down a series of caves. A series of caves after which we saw it in a giant hollow cavern. There was what I could only describe as a monster lying on the floor. It looked like a misshapen goat with two heads. Each head had three pairs of eyes, which were in bright crimson. Its fur was as black as the darkest night, and it had four limbs. It had a long tail, which ended in a stinger. It must have had wings at one point, but those had been reduced to small stubs on its back. Most notably, it was wounded on its side. I could see a gaping hole in the right side of its chest where there was a wound and blood slowly oozed out of it. From its cries and its ragged breathing, I knew it was clear that this creature was in severe agony. It almost made me feel sorry for it. Almost. That was until I looked into its eyes and I felt it. I felt its anger burning like the fire of a thousand suns. It was a creature that wanted to bring hell to earth, and it was only its wounds that stopped it from doing so. Given the chance, it would not even spare me. My father reassured me that it would never harm us who worshipped him above all, but I greatly doubted him. I then learned that my father was not hunting animals. No, he was hunting sinners, murderers, thieves, traitors, those who deserved no better than death. He told me this as I watched a man being brought in, dressed weirdly, or at least weird by our standards. I would learn later that these were normal clothes. I watched... His throat was slit and blood gushed onto the floor, eagerly lapped up by the monster. My father told me how this man had murdered his own brother. That hit me hard. I'd always wanted a sibling and I'd promised myself that I'd be a good elder brother if I ever had one. The thought of killing someone related to me made me more nauseous than the sight I was seeing before me. My father then led me back to my house. And needless to say, I never slept that night. In my mind, I was afraid. If I fell asleep, it might find its way into my dreams. And when I eventually did fall asleep, it did. I saw it. Wounds somewhat better after the meal I just had, though they would soon reopen. I was nearly sick for the next two weeks. I barely spoke, I ate half as much as I usually did, and it was clear why. Because I was having trouble adjusting to that thing, but my parents believed that it was just a phase and that I'd get over it. And in a way I did in a few months' time. I began to slowly forget about what I'd seen though I would always be reminded of it whenever it reached out to me in its dreams, still craving the blood of the wicked. Two more years of that before I decided to escape one night. I knew my parents were wrong. That thing was evil, and so I bided my time. When another hunting trip was over, I went back to those caves and found one of the men they'd captured. Take me with you, I asked him, and he agreed. I got introduced to the rest of the world. I hadn't seen a computer before then, or even something like a mobile phone. I've had a lot of trouble adjusting, and to this day I still feel like I can't fit in with the rest of society. Twice I've even thought about going back, just so that I could be with my family, though. Common sense has always won me over. Because... I'll never forget that feeling of fear that overcame me when that thing looked me in the eyes. Now, I probably owe you an explanation. This is something I only managed to piece together after I escaped. The one above all was the child of the devil, who came to earth just as Jesus Christ, what we called it, or the enemy, did. Christ rose from the dead after being crucified, but before ascending to heaven, he injured the one above all. That cult has been taking care of him, feeding him blood, hoping that one day he would become strong enough to overthrow heaven itself and to overthrow the false god, as they call him. I did end up converting to Christianity, if nothing more than a pragmatic reason, as I figured the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Unfortunately, the dreams had never stopped, and whenever I dreamed of that thing, it looked at me as if it could see me through the dream, as if, despite the hundreds of miles between us, he knew where I was. And unfortunately... I have bad news. It looks like it's finally been getting stronger. The wound has stopped oozing blood since last year. Now, when I see it in my dreams, it finally has the strength to stand on its own. Its wings have begun to repair themselves, and I can feel it glaring at me, and it knows that I betrayed it. And I've no doubt that when it eventually comes for all of us. I'll be the first one. Every time I see it in my sleep, I wake up completely drenched in sweat, paralyzed, overcome with fear. No prayers will ever help me. I figured perhaps there was someone else out there. Perhaps there was someone else who'd left that cult and had found a way to deal with these dreams. And for that reason, I wanted some help. And I guess, of course, there is a second reason why I'm telling you this story. To let you know that he's getting stronger. And he's coming. Many years ago, I used to work as a medical scribe. If you've ever seen an old TV show or movie where a doctor speaking into a cassette tape... Well, basically, that would happen was doctors would speak their notes on cassette tapes. They would leave them, and I would write them out in a way that was actually legible and didn't look like a bunch of crayon scribbles in their notes. Granted, nowadays, they have voice-to-speech software for that, so I'd be out of a job if I hadn't already retired before technology could take over. Of course, medical scribes still do exist, but their work is vastly different from what mine was. I was cleaning out my closet one day, looking for... God, I can't even remember what it was now, with all that's been going on, but... I found a cassette tape nestled away in the corner. It surprised me, because I didn't have a habit of collecting them or anything, and I sure didn't keep any with me when I retired, given they belonged to the hospital. I examined the cassette, and had a strange word written on the side. It was a word, though, that I found very hard to pronounce, but I mouthed it to myself, trying to figure out what it could mean. I even tried Googling it on my phone and found no response with the search engine assuming that I'd made a typo. It sounded vaguely German to me, though, perhaps Russian. After some contemplation, I decided to go to my old tape recorder, which still worked, and so I put the cassette in and pressed play. A male voice began speaking out. Patient's name, a 24-year-old female patient with no significant past medical history presented from home with the chief complaint of auditory and visual hallucinations, which started two weeks ago. The patient is a waitress by profession. And as per her, these symptoms started after she bought a book at a local garage sale. Inscribed within it were several horror stories, one of which described a monster, whereas she put it a demon that was summoned by speaking its name, which is nothing but static here. She says that soon afterward, she started seeing a strange shadow standing behind her wherever she looked in the mirror. Strange whispers would call out to her in the middle of the night. Over time, these symptoms progressed. The shadow, which was initially just a dark figure, became more formed and more real every single day. The whispers, rather than being incomprehensible, started making more sense to her. They spoke, according to her, some of the most vile, horrible things that she'd ever heard. She refused to say anything about them or to describe the entity in any way. She presented to the ER because she felt she was going crazy and had contemplated throwing herself in front of a bus. She's never had any symptoms like this before. There was no family history of psychiatric illness as per her and no past surgical history on file. She was agitated in the ER and was given a dose of haloperidol. She's calmed down somewhat, but still claims to be hearing the voices. And she's been placed on one-to-one suicide watch. I should not have something like this. It was patient information and HIPAA protected, so I was not allowed to take any of the tapes back home with me. Just as I thought, that was it. The voice began playing again. Now, up until now, the voiceover had been fairly professional. If I guess that's the best way to describe it. There was no panic in it. It was described in a neutral, flat tone. The next part, however, sounded extremely... started the patient on Seroquel for now. If it shows no improvements, we'll consider Olanzapine. There was another pause after this. Up until now, the voiceover had been fairly professional. If I guess that's the right word to describe it. There was no panic in it. It was described in a neutral, flat tone. The next part, however, sounded extremely panicked. started the patient on Seroquel for now. If it shows no improvement, we'll consider melanzepine. There was another pause after this. Oh, God. I don't even know why I'm recording this, but something strange happened last night. I I was brushing my teeth when I saw something behind me. A shadowy figure in the mirror. And initially I thought this was my mind playing tricks on me after a very long shift, but this morning... I, I saw it again. There was a long pause. It's been four days since I've seen the patient, and I feel like her story has gotten to me somehow. I can't really allow myself to indulge in her delusions. There was another pause before the voice started again, this time sounding far worse. I don't know how to describe it. It... It's... it's... it's not fake? What this girl was saying, it's... It's not fake. I can feel it behind me. The monster, it's... speaking to me whenever I'm alone. And it turns out she's not completely forthcoming with her symptoms. I feel... extremely cold, even with the heater turned on. I also feel an impending sense of doom. Every time I try to close my eyes to get some sleep, I see the visage of the horrible thing with its many faces and countless eyes. I don't even wish to describe it. I've signed off the case and handed it over to a colleague, but I feel like even the short vacation I've asked for may not help me. There's another pause at this point. It's come back again. It's not getting better. I'm clearly having some kind of shared psychosis with this patient. Maybe it's just out of empathy or something of the sort, but I can't keep going on like this. I'm going to the ER to have myself admitted. The tape ended there, and there was nothing else to it. I took it out and examined it again, wondering where it'd come from and why I had it after all these years, and lastly, what I should do with it. I didn't even know which hospital it was from. I'd worked for several, so I couldn't exactly return it, but it was confidential information, and I didn't want to land myself in trouble by keeping it. And then again, there was that name. The name on the tape. I had already mouthed it out, so I think you can see where this is going. And for the last three days, I've been... I've been seeing a dark shadow behind me in the mirror and the the whispers. I, I thought it was just my tinnitus acting up, but they've gotten louder. And now I can understand them. And I don't want to understand them. If there's anyone out there who's ever encountered something like this, I would like some help. Because I'm terrified of what's going to happen couldn't exactly find out what happened to that patient and the doctor, but I cannot imagine that it was good. In many communities, urban legends are a rite of passage. Most of us have grown up with some form of tall tale. Whether it was something ridiculous as growing watermelon in your stomach because you ate its seeds, or downright... Terrifying, Like being taken by a demonic woman because you said her name three times in a mirror. Though they may not have much in common on the surface, their significance goes beyond the tales themselves. Urban legends provide children with their first real test of critical thinking. Even if every kid in your class is adamant that some miraculous claim is valid, you're never too sure. In your own growing curiosity, you ask questions, do research, and piece together information from your own understanding of the world. To us adults, it may seem insignificant to determine that a watermelon actually won't grow in your stomach, or that Slender Man didn't actually steal the kid who's been out sick, but in reality, it's the process of logical thinking and finding the truth with verifiable evidence that becomes so valuable later on in life. And it's for these exact reasons that the tale of the earwig strikes a deep-seated dread into every person living in my town. The earwig is a creature born of collective fear, as the story goes. A human-sized bug that waits in the darkness, fixing its body into the tiniest corner so that it can observe you from afar. Long antennae. Sense the slightest movement, quick legs, and a flexible body that allows it to squeeze in every nook and cranny to evade your eye. Unsure of your surroundings, you search, but to no avail. Only when you think you've checked every corner possible do you reluctantly accept that you're alone. Little do you know, That the moment you let your guard down is the moment it glides silently toward you to inject a paralyzing neurotoxin into your neck. The debilitating pain is unbearable, and you thrash around in a desperate attempt to fight back, but a tough exoskeleton protects it from anything you could hope would hurt it. As your body begins to tire and as your muscles start to seize, fleshy tentacles emerge from an undulating thorax and shoot a sticky material to hold you in place. At the same time, a flexible proboscis pierces your abdomen. It excretes a substance to turn your insides into a soup and happily slurps it up. Once it's had its fill, a second appendage quickly injects thousands of maggots into what will now serve as a petrified cocoon. Horrifying behavior aside, the story of the earwig isn't simply one of a formidable predator. It's one of a creature who, by some unknown means, has conquered the very concept of uncertainty itself. What happens when a being finds a way to always potentially exist? Not just when you finally decide to open your eyes and turn around, but under your bed, in your closet, in every dark place you never thought to check. Until you know for a fact that something is or isn't there. The answer to what fills that space is unknown. And in that uncertainty the earwig finds a home. The more people think about the possibility of its existence the more it has a chance to find its way into our reality. At first The kids couldn't possibly understand the ramifications of the tale. For them, it was just a stupid thing they'd say to scare each other. Don't think about the earwig or it'll already be too late, they'd say. When one was mad at a classmate or a teacher, they'd shout the name three times or draw them a picture of it to make sure that the target of their ire kept the beast in mind. Others would play the long game, finding a victim and making mention of the earwig to them every single time day. For most, it was supposed to be harmless, kind fun. A dumb myth like any other. As they grew older, they'd forget and laugh when their friends brought it up as adults. But one day, the laughs stopped when a girl was found dead in her room. Her body had seemingly petrified overnight and what looked like maggots were crawling in and And out of her nose. No one could figure out what had led to her death. Had she simply stopped breathing? And had normal medical condition, perhaps? There were no signs of foul play. Just a few marks that looked like she'd been stuck by a hypodermic needle. But there was no break-in. And the parents surely didn't harm her. So what had led to that tragedy? Sad and confused, the town's children did their best to cope with the event. At first, there was a genuine mourning for the young girl, but in a short amount of time, they attached her death to the only thing that made sense in their underdeveloped minds. Soon, the earwig had become synonymous with taking the young girl's life. In the minds of the children, she was its official first kill. Almost as if the universe wanted to confirm their suspicions, soon after, another person was found dead, this time a grown man. A teacher, who, in all fairness, was hated by much of his class. Like the girl, his body was found petrified, maggots crawling out of every orifice, needle marks were found on his neck, and some unidentifiable mucus-like substance stuck him to his bed. But unlike the girl... He had a more direct connection to the creature. Drawings of what appeared to be an imposing bug filled his mailbox. Papers he was grading had an earwig written all over it, with more crude pictures of a similar-looking beast drawn on the back. While the local police couldn't take this as any more than coincidence, and while none of the kids involved faced punishment, it certainly raised the eyebrows of the townfolk. All the while, word of the earwig was going from urban legend to something that people truly began to fear. As time went on, more deaths came in the exact same manner. Never an overwhelming amount, but a concerning number nonetheless. While some seemed completely unrelated to the creature, most undeniably had some sort of connection to it. It ultimately reached the point where even the most hardcore skeptics wouldn't dare say its name for fear of bringing a plague upon someone else's home, or worse, their own. A young boy played out in his front yard on a sunny Sunday afternoon. Two neighborhood kids the same age were walking by and stopped to talk to him for a second. A quick exchange of pocket cash was made. The young boy disappeared into his house and then soon re-emerged with a piece of chalk. He casually walked over to the sidewalk and began to draw something as the two boys stood over him and giggled. He didn't even finish half the word before his father came rushing out of the house like it was on fire. The man scooped his son up with one arm while punt-kicking the fallen piece of chalk across the street. Mr. Ned, as the kids called him, was one of the calmest individuals in town. A delightfully happy religious man who never raised his voice even was now beat red. He screamed at the two neighborhood boys to get the hell away from his house before turning his attention to his son and yelled, You'll never fucking do that again. Do you understand me? He'd been shouting with so much force that the others couldn't help but peek out their windows to see what the commotion was. One woman even stepped outside to inquire about what was going on. Mr. Ned met her confused gaze with a snarl. With nearly the same level of force he'd spoken to his son with, he screamed at her to go inside before marching back into his home with a vice grip on his son's arm. From that day forward, the young boy wasn't allowed out of his house or anything except school until he was ready to leave for college. Supposedly, the two boys who had thought it would be funny to pay the kid to draw the creature's name in public met an even harsher punishment at home. Quickly, word of the earwig wasn't that of legend of the townspeople. They were fact. Just as the sun rose in the sky, so did, too, the earwig descend into the dark. For them, talk of anything, even resembling the creature, was taboo, and any slip-ups were met with zero tolerance and swift retribution. There were even instances of police coming to arrest people they heard were spreading the creature's name. False charges were quickly applied, and people were more than willing to lie in court to shut someone up for good. Though it may seem like a mighty overreaction from the outside, it's important to remember what fear does to people, especially when that fear has been justified by years of evidence. When your life and the lives of your loved ones are put in danger because of mere thoughts, it would seem appropriate that people go to extreme measures to prevent those thoughts from ever forming. And when the earwig was off of the minds of the people, life was good. The hope was that, like all things not acknowledged, the legend would fade into irrelevance, and eventually, non-existence. But, scattered whispers and an irrefutable feeling of constantly walking on eggshells kept the thoughts alive. And by extension, the earwig still ate. Every now and again, another death would surface. The townsfolk would play it off as natural causes, or a particularly gruesome homicide, but deep down, they knew the truth. As a kid, my friends and I were bolder with the legend. Though we didn't dare speak of the earwig to the degree previous generations had, we played with the concept enough that we put ourselves in real danger of retaliation. Strange as it was, it felt like we were carrying on a tradition. For us, the idea of playing with something so sinister felt fun. In our minds, we were invincible. It felt like we could touch the edge of death, but our youth and hubris would always pull us back on a safe ground. As we got older, the frequency of the story faded until eventually we'd gone years without speaking of it. I was 17, and in my last year of high school, when it ultimately came up again. My friends and I were hanging out before school when we were approached by a kid named Dean Menendez. Dean always had a passion for the macabre, and would tell anyone who's listening about the creepy things that he found on the internet. Usually he'd be excited to tell people about the various things he'd find, but that day he seemed... spooked. His eyes were puffy and red, and his hair was a tangled mess. I saw him walking toward us, and as he got close, I went to say hello, but he approached me first. I need to speak with you. Alone, Dean said, placing his hand on my shoulder a little too tightly. My immediate impulse was to tell him to let go and take a few steps back, as I was hit with an odor that no doubt resulted from skipping the shower for the past few days. But, despite my initial reservations, I also got the strong sense that Dean needed help. Whatever led him to this condition was obviously pretty severe, and if he needed to talk to me about something that would help him, then so be it. I checked the time and saw I still had quite a bit before my first period class, so I told my friends I'd catch up with him later and walked off with Dean. As we walked, I tried to ask him what was up, but he insisted that we get away from where other people could hear us because he was scared they'd judge him. At this point, I'm a little concerned about my own safety. Still, I felt comfortable escaping a confrontation by evaluating the difference in our size and playing with the Swiss Army knife I kept in my front pocket for self-defense. Once he felt we were far enough from prying ears, he stopped and started to cry. I messed up really bad, man. I messed up really, really bad, he said, his face Buried into his hands. I tried to tell him that whatever it was, he'd be okay and that I was here for him regardless. You don't understand, man, he told me. I went too far. I went way too far. I took a minute before I could get him to calm down. And only when he stopped crying could I get him to actually explain himself. What happened? I asked. There was a pause. Dean looked around a moment before taking a step toward me and wrapping his hands around my shoulders again. I summoned the goddamn earwig, he stated. I was so curious about the legends, if they were true. For the past month, I committed myself to making sure that it was real. I I had to see it. I needed proof. That's what curious people do, right? They investigate things, see if they can find the craziness in our world, and I fucking found it. But I didn't know it'd be like this. For a moment I was confused, but then my mind suddenly flashed back to all the childhood stories and made connections between the strange deaths and the weird behavior around the name, but... As far as I remember, the earwig always killed its victims left them nothing but a corpse filled with its children and yet dean looked perfectly healthy i asked him how it was possible if he had indeed summoned the earwig then how was he still alive and why was he talking to me about it he shrugged all dean knew was that it wanted to speak to a few of the people he knew in exchange for his life remind them that it was still here it gave him a list of people and he'd been struggling With what it would mean to follow its instructions since that day. But ultimately Dean had to choose life. I. I wanted to be angry for what he'd done to me. I wanted to scream. Tell him to get as far away from me. And never look into my direction again. But. I knew it wouldn't help. I could see the fear in his eyes, and his physical condition showed a kid who clearly didn't want to be doing what he was doing, but he had no choice. For half the day, I existed in a strange stupor. All I could think about was how I'd get myself out. It wasn't until a conversation I had with my friends about how they were stressing about school that I realized I couldn't contribute to the intrusive thoughts. I needed to take my mind elsewhere. It was hell to try. I did everything possible to distract myself over the coming days, but no matter what I did, the intrusive thoughts found their way in. Drugs, music, conversations, picking up a new interest, laser-focusing on my other stressors, nothing mattered. Even my then-girlfriend got annoyed by how much I wanted to hear about what was on her mind instead of speaking my own thoughts. The worst part was that I couldn't reach out to others to explain and call for help without dragging them in. Every day felt like a challenge to keep my mind preoccupied, and I dreaded the moment night hit. Taking sleeping pills early in the evening became routine, as I couldn't risk being alone with my thoughts in the dark for any period of time. To my horror, my parents had told me they were going on a surprise honeymoon vacation and would be gone for the weekend. When I explained how much I didn't want them to leave, they were shocked. Teenage boy gets the house to himself for a whole weekend, and he's not stoked? Unfathomable. Finally, it was just me in the dark. It all came to a head the same Friday when I couldn't get to sleep. The sleeping pills weren't working like I had hoped. And I was tossing and turning with with the same questions replaying in my mind. Why him? Why me? What does it want? The questions swirled in my brain. I couldn't help but visualize the thing perched on my ceiling watching me as I struggled. Every sound in the dark was magnified. Was it coming for me? Was it something else? Was it real at all? A tingling sensation shot down my spine, and I shot up in a cold sweat, staring into the void before me, waiting for the creature to lunge forward in the dark. minutes passed as I sat there, paralyzed in fear. The darkness in my room perfectly reflected the uncertainty of my mind. It felt as though I could put my hand out and the odds of feeling something were equal to the odds of feeling nothing. I couldn't take it. I sprang up from my bed and made a mad dash for the light, flicking it on and seeing nothing. Just my room as I left it. I breathed a massive sigh of relief and went to sit on my bed, content to stay up all night until the sun came up. I reached for my phone and the screen read 1 a.m. I'd have to stay up quite a while, but it was worth it. I figured I need some coffee and slowly began to make my way to the kitchen. Walking down the hall, I turned on the light to the living room, and sitting on the wall between it and the kitchen was a massive black box. My body felt like it was made of stone. I dared not move as its long antenna searched the air, sensing for the slightest vibrations. I tried thinking of an exit plan, but there weren't any good options. The two I immediately settled on were running back to my room or making a dash for the front door. I figured that at least with the second option I wouldn't be trapped with the thing bearing down on me. A single turn of my foot sent its antenna into a frenzy. In the blink of an eye, the thing was skittering down the wall and across the floor toward me. I moved toward the front door, hoping I could reach it in time, but it cut me off and shot a sticky substance at my feet. I jumped back just as it hit the ground, and I turned on a dime toward my room, but only got a couple of feet before I could feel something solid on my back. I was yanked backward, and from the moment I hit the ground, it became impossible to stand back up. Just like that, I was caught. The earwig slowly approached me, crawling over me as if it were pacing, trying to decide what to do. Eventually it settled in front of me, clasping its mandibles together in front of my face. An eel-like tongue slithered out and licked me. But it gave me some space. Instead of doing what it had done to so many others, it reared up its rear legs and revealed a hole with what looked like teeth surrounding it. A mucus-covered, lumpy mass emerged slowly from the hole until it stuck out a few inches. From that mass, two small slits peeled away to reveal milky white eyes. Even though the eyes looked blind, they searched around the room before finally landing on me. Once they locked onto my location, an awful, wet, tearing sound followed. Just a few inches under the eyes, a mouth had now formed with long, rotten teeth protruding from puffy gums. To my shock, the face embedded in this abdominal creature was capable of speech. No need for fear today. You will not die today, not by me. It hissed in a deep, buzzy voice. I require your assistance. In your return, I would no longer hunt your family. This is a fair deal. All I could manage was to stammer out a week. What? The creature took a couple of steps forward, and the face extended out slightly to come closer to mine life in exchange for a service, easily understood, easily fulfilled. What do you you want from me? I continued to stammer while fighting back tears. I, I just want to go back to bed, please. The corners of his non-existent lips started to curl slightly into what I think was supposed to be its version of a smile. The face slightly retracted into the hole before coming out again and speaking. You must plant my seed. I'll give you time to figure out how, but eventually you must find a way to bring my tale to the masses so that they know my name. Forever. I remember thinking it was like a virus. A virus whose host is thought itself and with the number of hosts in our town dwindling it was using me as a way of branching out doing what it wanted would put so many people in danger but even so with this satanic spawn bearing over me the only thing i could say was yes it'll be done seemingly satisfied the creature's face began to retract back inside the hole but a part of me wouldn't let go I shouted for it to stop, and to my surprise, it did. Why? I blurted out. Why do this? If you're intelligent, you must understand what kind of pain you cause us. Why not coexist? My question seemed to baffle the creature. For a moment, the corners of its mouth drooped low, and its eyes excreted pus from the corners before returning to a neutral expression. Why does the spider eat the fly? Why does the lion on the antelope? Why do the humans slaughter the pigs, the fish, each other? It's in their nature. It flashed its pseudo-smile again. Aren't our lives more important than nature? I cried out. When we kill, it's only to preserve ourselves. What you do to us is beyond that. It paused again and spit toward me before speaking. How selfish to think of self-preservation as only for you. I feed to sustain myself. You shift ecosystems and make entire species go extinct to sustain vanity. Surely you understand the pain you cause as well as I. The creature began to wrap its body around me. Dozens of sharp legs poked into my skin. The difference is... This time you were the ones being hunted. You should be thankful I haven't yet decided to eat much more than my fill. I could feel the tingle of a stinger softly being pressed against my neck. I squeezed my eyes shut, preparing for a painful injection, but as soon as it had come, it was gone. I reluctantly opened my eyes, and luckily I was completely alone when I did. Not only that, but I gained my freedom of movement back. Still, I didn't feel free, and I most certainly didn't feel safe. The only thing I felt comfortable doing at that moment was contemplating. For the first time in a long time, I knew I wouldn't be in danger because of my thoughts but that fear for myself was replaced with a concern for others. Little did I know that that contemplation would take years. Not knowing what the ethical decision was, how long I had to make it, or why I had to be the one to make it, has been hard. Some days I'd be so sure I was about to do the right thing, and others I couldn't be more uncertain. It wasn't until I started writing more seriously that I finally found my answer. I don't consider myself a particularly good writer or storyteller, but at the very least I think learning how to communicate an idea is a skill you can build over time. As I've grown as a writer, so too has my ability to communicate a message. Thinking back to my high school days, there was rarely a time when I wasn't thinking up stories. Either showing them to my friends and family or posting them anonymously online. Not only that, but I'd always dreamed of getting out of the town that I was in, branching out, so to speak. I think that's what the earwig saw. Someone who can communicate an idea to an audience outside of the idea's birth. And in the end... I did choose to communicate the story of the Earwig. My safety and the safety of those I care about are far too important to risk by not doing it. And for those who will inevitably be impacted, I'm sorry. If there was another way to do this, I would. But before I'm judged for my actions, I at least want a chance to be understood. This decision hasn't come easy, but ultimately I believe the earwig always knew what I would do. I think it chose people, it knew, would always choose to cling to life. In that way, its spread was, is inevitable. But the degree to which it spreads doesn't have to be. In making my choice, I figured I could communicate its message. Why can't I communicate mine as well? Who's to say that I don't warn you now? Who's to say that I don't tell you to do everything you can to ignore the earwig? So I am. Ignore the intrusive thoughts. Find distractions. Find other interests. Find reasons to convince yourselves it's nothing more than a legend. Because if its existence is never a possibility, then neither are the consequences. And maybe together we can keep a tall tale, just that. A tale.